We are going to be in Romans a lot today. We're going to start out in Romans chapter 3, but our focus verse for today is Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Good morning, Gulf Coast family. Good to see you all. How are you doing this morning? How are you doing this morning? Ah, there we go, there we go, okay. Um, well, my name is Ryan Carver, and as they kind of get the levels uh, situated for my microphone, I just want to say good morning, and it's really great to just be celebrating with you guys like every Sunday morning. I'm one of the pastors here, if you're a little newer. We have four pastors here at Gulf Coast. They call them elders. Um, and uh, so that's Jerry, uh, Stephen, Pete, and myself. And we all have different preaching styles, so welcome to mine this morning. Um, that's right. <laughs> Reggie in the back. Hey. Um, and so... Uh, just like Jerry says, uh, this is kind of a participatory meeting. It isn't where just I speak. It's great when uh, you all kind of, as, we're, as a congregation, we participate even in this time together around God's word. As God's word is spoke, spoken and reflected upon throughout these next minutes of this preaching part, this preaching section, God's word has been going forth from the beginning of this gathering today. It's going forth next door. It's going forth now, and we're participating together. So feel free to give amens. Feel free to give a little uh, weird look if you're like, I don't know about that. Those are all okay, because we're participating together. So praise God for this morning. Um, Let's pray. Father, we do turn to you this morning. We thank you, God, that it is through Jesus Christ that we could gather this morning together. You are uniting your people You are doing a work amongst us, and God, your glory is going forth across this earth. And you know it is my prayer, you know it is our prayer, that you would bring glory and honor, that your reputation would be high. That, God, as a church, we, we would honor you throughout this city. We would honor you throughout, even as people are sent across the globe, but God, even this morning, Help us to honor you. Help us to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Gulf Coast, uh, I often say that Jerry is sort of a, uh, he normally does most of the preaching, for those of you who are new, or a lot of it. And I kind of think of him as a Bible nerd. (laughs) Sorry, Jerry, if you're watching. He's actually at a wedding this weekend. Um, But he, he loves to... Uh, teach the storyline of scripture, but also to handle the nuances of the text. And he does a great job at it. But then I think I'm more of a, a culture nerd. I mean, when I go to a place that, uh, to visit, I'm not looking at the sites. I want to know the people. I want to know what moves them. That's kind of what fuels me. And it's what, made, it, it's what makes me also, I'm up for, for, ever since I started following Jesus, I started thinking, how do I, how do I make the gospel uh, clear for those who I'm speaking to? How do I make the gospel something that uh, people can understand? Now, I know the Spirit of God has to work, right? We all know that. The Spirit of God has to give us faith, has to give us ears to hear and eyes to see. The work, we do have a responsibility to be clear in how we articulate and how we connect things of, of our culture and of our environment and of our lives to the people that we're speaking to. And what's interesting is culture can also shape us. Culture shapes us in, for us in this room, we're in like a, we're Christian folk, most of us, right? We, we're just in this Christian world, whether it's through Instagram posts that influence us, whether it's through uh, different books that we're reading, or even uh, just the people and the different phrases that we use. They influence us. So there's a couple phrases here. Just as we're doing this introduction, just getting into this thought of how culture shapes us. One would be, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. We say that a lot, right, before the meal. And sorry, guys, I know a lot of you have said it in front of me, and I do think this in the back of my head, but I don't say it. But why bless the food? Isn't it already blessed? Didn't God already give it to us? Instead, let's bless God for providing our daily bread for us. 
And I just want you to, get, to give this thought. Now, I know Jesus has blessed the food in Scripture. I know it. But we should express our gratitude and thanks to God who provides all of our needs, including our need for food. Listen to this prayer that I think Jesus spoke. This is an, this is an older uh, a Jewish prayer that many would say. Jesus probably recited it. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. That's the blessing. That's the blessing that Jesus probably blessed the food at the feeding of the 5,000 and elsewhere. But I'm just saying, a culture has shaped us to say, hey, God, will you help uh, these, this food to actually nourish me? But we know the food nourishes us, right? Now, you can keep using that phrase, but culture does shape us. We've heard people say it, so we use it. And it might hinder us from giving God thanks and praise before our food. Let me give you another one. Thank you. Going to church, going to church is this phrase that we hear. And by the way, I'm just using the opportunity to speak today to share a couple of my pet peeves, okay? So <laughs> we'll get to the text in a second. But the root meaning of, of, of the word church, it's not a building, it's a people. And it's ironic that we ask people, uh, when we say, hey, what church are you part of? They describe the building or the location or maybe what we do that morning, like how the children's ministry, whatever, but, but we're not talking about the people. And Paul, in 16.5, he even says, greet the church that is in your house. He refers to the church in their house. Not a church building. It's a body of believers. We are the church, the people of God. And so our language, though, has shifted with this church, with, with the word church, and we even see evidence, and here's how culture shapes us, it, it, it's changing how many Christians live, as if they could be Christ followers by just going to the church building on Sunday. It shapes us. Culture shapes us, even unknowingly. So instead of Scripture, we see as Christ followers that we need to be deeply connected to one another. It's not about coming here on a Sunday morning, showing up as if that makes us a Christ follower. We're to live out the one another's. There's over 100 one another's, love one another. Pray for one another, care for one another, on and on and on. And these things can only happen when we're deeply rooted in one another's lives. And it's through this way of life that we show the kingdom of God for the world to see. We are the church. But, that, but the thought that the church is the building has influenced us. Culture shapes us. And we can be influenced by others. The languages that are used, the ideologies all around us, affects us. And we talk about, when we talk about sin and the glory of God, we too have been shaped by the influences in our lives. But what if we only understood these two concepts partially? Sin and the glory of God. What if we only understood that partially? It would affect our lives if we only partially understood those. Now what if Jesus, most Jesus followers, and anyone else who has talked about sin and God's glory only have a piece of the picture? Then we would have a culture, a church culture, that doesn't look like the way it should, unknowingly even. And so my attempt today is to, to really bring some clarity here. Maybe some of you guys have already heard what's going to be shared this morning. Great. Maybe it'll be a, a simpler way or easier way, or maybe it'll bring things to the surface for how you can articulate it to others. But I have three goals this morning. I want to help us see a bigger problem, a greater purpose, and an ultimate promise. I'm not going to share anything new today. Just connect a few dots. But I also want to say I've been heavily served by Tim Mackey, The Bible Project, and this commentary by Dr. Hallie Jacob. And everyone should just watch the Image of God uh, video on The Bible Project. It's in your bulletin there, the link. You should probably just watch everything by The Bible Project. <laughs> Let me just be honest. Don't, you don't need to go to seminary. Just watch all those. Then go to seminary maybe if you want. I don't know. All right. A bigger problem. What is a verse many of us have as a go-to regarding the human condition? It's Romans 3.23. We know it well. Uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's accurate. That's, a, that's, a, that's an accurate verse. It's in our scriptures. But the word sin comes from the Greek word harmartia, which is, in Greek, it means to miss the mark. Now, many of you have heard that. It's an archery term. It's a spear-throwing term. But the next question we must ask is, what is the mark we're missing? And Paul tells us next, we have all fallen short 
of the glory of God. We are accustomed to reading this verse, though, as if we've all disobeyed, rejected, and rebelled against God, leaving us in need of a Savior to save us from our unholiness. We need someone to forgive us of our sins. And that's accurate. That's true. Very true. And, we, and then we tell people how Jesus died for us to pay the penalty we deserve so we could be right by God, so we could be justified through Jesus Christ. And that's accurate. All of it's true. In fact, Paul says in the following verses, let's read Romans 3.23 real quick. And by the way, we're going to get to our main uh, verses in Romans 8, but this is the lead up here. I'm going to teach kind of the storyline of Scripture to help us understand Romans 8 a little clearer. And so it says here, for Romans 3.23, For the all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or substitute by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we have been justified. We've been made right by Jesus. He has taken our sin upon him. But I want you guys to look at this diagram that I, we use this, we've used this on our, in our collegiate ministry. It's just something that I, I can't stop using. Um, sometimes we use, the, so creation, a lot of you might say fall is the second part of the story. We, rebellion is another way to say it. Rescue, renewal, or restoration is the, is the last part of the story. This is kind of the, the timeline of Scripture, and these are just some simple ways of, of kind of drawing it out, and we'll, we'll reference this a little bit today. I think it's important that we all understand the full scope of Scripture. If we just understand pieces, we don't understand how we fit in. And if we don't understand the whole scope, we don't see God's work from beginning to end and, and where we are and what he's doing now. And so that's the hope of that this morning. If you'll put that back up one more time, Seaver. Um, if you look at the second circle, rebellion, you could see that this is where we normally focus on. You could even see that the guy has a crown on his head, right? He thought he was his own authority. He said, no, God, we don't want to listen to you. We want to listen to ourselves. That's what Adam and Eve said. And so they, they sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. What does Romans 6.23 say? You can even leave it up there. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we often really look at circle two. That's a, that's a big part. Genesis chapter 3 is a big part of how we understand Scripture, of how we understand even who we are. We are sinners. We need God. We are rebels. We have rebelled against God in every way. But if we stop here, if this is our only way of understanding what God has done through Jesus, then we will live as if once we believed in Jesus, the rest of life is just a waiting game. You actually could, would say we have rebelled God rescued us, and man, we're waiting for that fourth circle. Now, that's true. You can take it off now. We'll get back to it in a minute. But if our Christian culture says, or we think, that of course we will sin, we just need to repent, we just need to turn away from our sins, we need to try to stop sinning, and then we'll be okay. We just need to wait till heaven. We just need to wait till we die and go to heaven. What does that do to us as a culture? What does that do to us as a people? I'm not saying this is wrong. It's just not the whole picture. The fact is, a large majority of people have heard or understood this to be the basis of Christianity. Dallas Willard calls people like this vampire Christians. What an interesting name, vampire Christians. They only need Jesus for his blood, is the point. And we've all met people like that. And honestly, on my laziest days, I mean, that's just what I think. And, I, and that's a good thing. That's good. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for his blood. Thank God that he forgives sins. Thank God that I don't have to, 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 to work my way up to God. I mean, that separates every religion in all of the earth from Christianity. It's not about what we do to attain uh, God. It's about what he's done. It's not about us reaching up. It's about him reaching down in the person of Jesus Christ. What we don't want to do is take this one essential part of the good news of Jesus and speak as if it's the whole thing, ignoring the rest. 
So let's talk about how sin is even a bigger problem before we get to the good news. Our need for God to forgive us, it's not the only problem. Sin has not only ravaged our relationship with God, but it's ravaged our relationships with one another. We see this everywhere, right? We see this in our culture now, but we see it in the pages of scripture. Brother kills brother, Cain and Abel, right after Genesis chapter three. We see cities filled with evil where the, the, the leaders and the people all allow evil. They look for it. They, they raise up evil as if it's good. We see it in scripture. Sin has also ravaged our relationship with creation. The land is hard to work. It almost fights against us. In turn, we out of sinful greed ravage the land. We pillage it. You see hints of that even in the, the story of the Tower of Babel. We see it throughout, though, in, in, in history and in Scripture. And as sin has done its damage among us as people and in our created world, it has also ravaged us internally. We've gone astray from God's purpose for our lives. God lays this out in a few sections before, I mean, Paul, God through Paul, lays it out a few sections before Romans 3. Let's turn to Romans 1. Now, these, these verses show us the problem is much deeper. Romans 1, 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the, create, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. <laughs> Amen. This is much deeper than the problem of needing forgiveness. We are the problem. Jarrell. He even he hinted at that in his announcement today. By the way, it's Black Shirt Day, I think. <laughs> we all have black shirts to notice, but hey. Maybe white and white shirts. Hey. Here's the thing. We all are the problem, all humans. As it says earlier, Jews and Gentiles alike, our thinking has become worthless and our senseless hearts darkened. When we read this text, it, I'm tempted, we've been tempted to say, oh, that's not me, or, or that's those people over there. No, this is speaking about us. The, 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 the context is it's Jew and Gentile. It's everyone. It's every man, woman, and child here in this. In verse 22, it talks about exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images of created things like people, animals, and reptiles. Verse 25 goes on to say, we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and instead worshiped and served what was created instead of the creator. And it goes on to show humans tearing one another apart with their evil ways as they claim to be wise and exchanging the glory of God for something lesser. Let's, go, let's look at this list. Let's see how sin is ripping up the fabric of our existence even disobedient children are in this list, breaking apart the family unit. So if we move on, turn with me to verse 26. Uh, God gave them up the dishonorable passions. You've got the relationships between a man and a woman broken. Verse 28, it says, um, because they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a, a debased mind. So here we go. Here's this different way of thinking. It's a, a wrong way of thinking. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife. All these things tear people apart. They tear the fabric of our society apart. They tear one another apart. They are gossips. Gossip tears us apart. It's in the same list as murder. Slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, this is the antithesis of what we were made for. And yet all of us in this room, in some way, are in this list or have been in this list and are fighting to not be in this list. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, we're, not tr- we're trying to build one another up. We're trying to honor God through what we're doing. We're trying to build this earth up. This list shows what it means to fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark, as Romans 3.23 says. But what is this glory of God that they exchanged? What is this glory that we've fallen short of displaying? Glory comes from the Greek word doxa and the Hebrew word kavod, kavod, which means heavy or weightiness. Think when something matters. You hear that word matter? Matter. You know, like matter, earth. It's, it's weighty. It has substance. Okay? So glory means weight. It's something that matters. It's something that has importance. And in Scripture, to glorify someone is to show their significance. It's to show their reputation. God's presence is also shown to be glory. It's weighty. It's astounding. It has, it has meaning to it. It's heavy. It's substantial. As we see in Romans 1, we've exchanged this weightiness or reputation of God for lesser things. We've taken created things instead of the creator and made them what we show honor to with our lives. We've built our reputation and maybe even our security on created things. Maybe we've, maybe we've kind of done what the, well, still other religions do, but even in the early Roman culture, there was deity worship. You would have deities that are worshipped for, let's say, war, the god of war, so that you would win wars, or the god of fertility, so that people would be fertile and have babies, you know, right? So they would pray and give honor and they would give offerings to these deities so that the deities would do what they wanted them to do. Sometimes they would give offerings so that the deities wouldn't do what they didn't want them to do. But anyway, they were trying to control the deities. But now today, what do we honor in order to get what we want? What do we consider matters in our lives that we're utilizing to build security I mean, this world is scary. It's fearful. Many of us are scared. So what are we doing to build security in a way that protects us from everything that could harm us? Comfort. Comfort is something that we, as especially Americans, have. And even in our church culture, we are very comfortable. What are we doing? What matters so much that we would put comfort over God. And even what are we doing to build a reputation for ourselves? We're all, we're all tempted toward these things. And the repercussions are many. So let's go to the story now. If, yeah, see, before the rebellion, let's go to creation. Okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, propose that we, need, we also need to remember the first part to see the problem is even greater than what we've learned in Genesis chapter 3. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 26 through uh, 28. Genesis 1 speaks about the glory God gave us in the beginning. God creates. He orders everything because he's God. He is a God of order. Right now, I feel like my life is chaos. I don't know about you guys. I feel like the world is chaos. I'm sure we all agree on that. But God is a God of order. And when he creates humans, they're central to creation. They are the pinnacle of creation. He gives them a unique identity and purpose. Verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. 
He makes us into his image. That's, that's first. Right? He makes us into his image. Now, in ancient Bible times, uh, you would be used to kings making images or idols of themselves. You'd just be used to it. They're all over. You go to this city, there's an image of so-and-so, there's this, there's that. Look on a coin, there's so-and-so's image. And they would even call themselves the image of God, these kings and rulers. And they would claim they had authority to rule and tell people what to do. They would make statues of themselves. They put them everywhere, and these statues would remind people who they are ruled over. These, these, these people in power would put all of these icons, all these images, all these idols to remind people that they were in charge, that they had a reputation to maintain, that they were the ones to be honored. And he put them throughout the land. And we learn later in Scripture that God's people were never to make idols. Why? Well, because you can't reduce the creator God down to one thing in creation. And because God has already made images of himself. Humans. He makes this into his image, and then what? Verse 26, or 28. He gives humans a job to do. He gives them a vocation. He gives us a vocation. He gives us a mission. Have dominion. Subdue the earth. And this is a task that the surrounding culture only understood belonged to kings. This was, this was totally against the culture of their environment, countercultural. But God is giving this task to us, not to kings, to us, to every human being. He says to subdue the earth by gardening. Talks about the plants and all that good stuff. And then he's making food, right? That's, that's what we're supposed to do. And then what? Growing families. And to help the world thrive, to help the world be what it's supposed to be. So as we move along the storyline, we see humans just having the choice to either, one, submit to God's definition of good and evil, which is to use their God-given authority for the benefit of others. That's their first choice. Their second choice is to choose their own definition of good and evil. By the way, does this sound a little similar to the, how they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? But their second choice is to choose their own definition of good and evil, which is to use their authority for their own advantage and gain. This is the struggle we see as we move through the narrative of the Bible. And when Paul penned Romans chapter 1, he clearly had Genesis chapter 1 in mind. The language is so similar. He's thinking it as he writes about what we exchanged Notice how everything we were given rule over in Genesis 1, the fish, the birds, the sky, the creatures, are exactly what he says we exchanged in Romans chapter 1. Instead of being God's image bearers, showing his weight, his significance through our God-given vocation to rule and to subdue, we've fallen short of this by rejecting him and rejecting his ultimate authority. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. Or, you know, click or whatever you do. (laughs) Psalm chapter 8. Okay, we're going to read the whole thing here. And in Psalm chapter 8, we're going to see how the psalmist understands our God-given vocation to bear God's image and rule, as we rule over the earth. And in fact, the, the psalmist is awestruck here. Listen to how it starts out. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, 
all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds, there's that language again, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I used to read this and think, that's about Jesus. It is. But it's about us. He's given this rule to us. It's clearly shown in Scripture. And the psalmist is amazed. God, how do you care about us so much? Why, how have you given us this mission, this vocation? Why? You've ordered the heavens and the earth. You've done this. And yet, you look on us like this? I mean, come on. That's, he gets it. You know, he's probably standing outside on a, on a mountain or, I don't know, in a field, whatever he's doing, and the stars are everywhere, like we can't see in the city. We, we forget about it. We have to go out. To, to, but when we do, we're like, whoa, I'm small. And yet God calls us to this. God knows us so much. He, he, he's intricately involved in our lives and wants us to partner with him. It's crazy. You've crowned us with glory and honor. You've made us rulers of the works of your hands. I mean, we should just pause here and just be like, well, thanks, God. God has given us this grand role in his mission that we would be his image bearers, that we would reflect him in the world, and that we would rule and, and subdue the earth in a way that would honor him. But we've fallen short. We've turned away from God and brought honor to created things, building and ruling in a way that we rule over people or we're building our own strongholds to give us security, often at the expense of others. Greed permeates our world. And honestly, it's in all of us. It's easy to see it in others, though, right? Large corporations, power-hungry political leaders, sex trafficking, greed, 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 right? Living in America, we are beneficiaries of a wonderfully secure and prosperous nation. But at whose expense? And I don't have all the answers here. I've been raised in a culture of, of national tradition and, and then all these other things that are coming around us and we're swimming in and we're trying to filter through and understand and it's really hard. But we need to ask ourselves, and God, what does it mean to rule as God intended for us to rule? Our, our lives show who we are trying to bring honor to. And what is tricky is that our Christian culture is very good at showing us how to look like we are bringing glory and honor and weight to God. Like wearing a Christian t-shirt. You know, got it on there. I'm good. You know, I'm Christian. We're going to a Christian concert. Right? Like, I, I'm doing a Christian thing. We're even stepping into a church building. Right? Like, that, is that glory and honor to God? None of, it's, it's not that it's not. It's just partial. It's part of the picture. But what the text shows here is it's about how we are ruling, how we're living to image the character of God in a world of brokenness. That's what matters. And we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that is a bigger problem than we need our sins forgiven. There's just so much more. It's a bigger problem because we have a greater God-given purpose. I think a lot of us, whether we're discipling people into this or it's because of our culture or whatever, we don't, we're, we're wrestling with that. What is our purpose? Man, my, my, my kids are driving me bonkers sometimes and all I could do is work 60 hours a week or I, my bills are stacking up. But what is my purpose? I know many of us are asking that question. We're called by God to be God-glorifying representatives of him, to rule over creation with equity, with justice, with love. That's what it means to be human. That is what God has made us for. We need to be changed. We need to learn what it means to be human as God intended. We need to be transformed in such a way that we image God the way we were designed for. 
And so thank God for his ultimate promise. Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 8. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that, what we might, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's zoom in on verse 28 real quick. We see a very well-known verse here, often quoted when we're going through hard times. And by the way, it's a very accurate verse for hard times, for suffering. Uh, Paul literally lays out suffering and bookends this thing when suffering. It, it, it's, it's very accurate for that. But, but just an aside, this isn't a good verse to quote when someone is in the pit of suffering. I don't think anybody needs verses quoted to them or theology brought to them in a way like where you're just repeating a verse when they're just in the midst of suffering. What they probably need is to know that you're with them, that you could be still with them, that you could just be in their presence. Because anybody who's going through suffering, really what they want is their suffering to be alleviated. They, they, they don't want to suffer anymore, but you're not God, so you can't change that, right? And so what's the next best thing? being with them. Be with those who are suffering. Put your arm around their shoulder. Reminisce with them. Sit still. Just just thought I've I've, I've wrestled with how do I how do I walk through with others? You know, Scripture says suffer with those who suffer. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. But man, it's hard to know how to suffer with someone. Looking at verse 28, Paul speaks of us being called by God for God's purpose. And then verse 29 goes on to say how we would be able to live out that purpose by God setting it up so that we would be conformed to the image of his son. That's a very key line right there, conformed to the image of his son. And next, the son, Jesus, is called the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And when Paul is speaking of Jesus being the firstborn, he's talking about Jesus rising from the dead, issuing new creation, a new humanity, which he will lead. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23. I chose to do the verses out of the, the scripture today, out of the, the hard copy. Because I feel like so often we just forget where things are um, using our devices. I think we need our devices, but I also feel like we just need to get good at knowing the storyline of Scripture and seeing things, how they fit together. And when I look at one thing on a screen, I don't know what's coming next until I flip. There's something about uh, the hard copy that you just can't, you can't get away from. So sorry you have to wait a few seconds till I turn there. But Ephesians 1, verse 20 says... Uh, That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So not only now, but in the future. And he put all things under his feet. He gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. This is Jesus, the firstborn. He's the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn to to be raised to new life, to defeat death, and to be a new human. To be in what we will be. But Romans 8.30 just brings it all together right here. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, He also glorified. 
He's done this for us. It's, and it, by the way, it's, it, when you read glorified at the end, that's the final part, right? It's not just the future. That's a past tense in the original language. It's done. How could it be done? I used to always think that would happen when I go to heaven. Oh, this body of mine, and oh, I just keep sinning. I can't wait till I get to heaven. But it's in the past. It's done. It's an accomplished fact. God has glorified us. It's not just when we go to heaven, there's perfection. We are called according to his purposes, and we're being shaped and molded and formed into Christ's likeness now. And what God will do at the return of Christ, he's already begun now. We, through the present work of Jesus, get to live into this reality now. To be clear, it's now but not yet. He is working, and he will work. He, is, he has glorified us. He will glorify us. God is forming a people, children of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus the Son, who will be his hands and feet and rule with equity, justice, and love. All the things we see Jesus doing in the narratives. All the things we see him doing. Let's look at the diagram one more time. So we worked through one and two, creation rebellion. But when we look to Jesus, who is our rescuer, our savior, the one who has come, he, he, also, he didn't just die on the cross, right? He lived. He lived a human life from a baby to a 33-year man, right? And that life has a lot to show. And we get a key picture, a zooming in of three years of his life as he walked as a, an adult in Scripture. And we see him, what it means to rule with justice and equity and love, to put others before, to, to, to not build security and to not love comfort. But we see him living a life that we are called to be like because we call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus. It's not just a mental thing. It's a whole life thing. He's forming a people right now. And yes, as we looked at, we failed at our vocation given unto us in Genesis chapter 1, but God's restoring us back to what it means to be human. And the way we become human, or learn what that means, is we look to Jesus, the perfect human, the one who walked this earth in, our, in, in sufferings just like we're going through, in the hardships just like we have. He's done this. So we learn from Jesus, we're forgiven because of Jesus, and we become more like Jesus by the transforming work of God's Spirit, bearing fruit in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control. We see this in the person of Jesus, and we're being shaped, molded, conformed into his image, and growing in these things as we walk this earth amidst a world ravaged by sin, amidst a world that sin just plagues. According to Scripture, he's changing us now to engage this world rightly in righteousness. Verse 16 says, The Spirit himself, looking at Romans chapter 8 still, says the Spirit himself testifies to our spirit. Bears witness with our spirit. That we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided, I've always wondered about this line here. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In short, Paul is saying, that part of being glorified, part of being conformed to the image of his son, suffering is needed. Suffering will happen. And I think even more than that, we will walk into others' suffering. When we look to Jesus' life, you can't get away from that. It's probably why there are so many other scriptures that say, uh, if you gain your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. That's not just metaphorical. Jesus was a real person. 
And that's what happened in his life as the perfect human. It means something for our very lives and how we incarnate, how we embody the gospel amongst others. Man, I'm, I've had this week where, actually a month, I even had to um, tell uh, the community group that I'm part of, I can't be there this week. I just had too much on my plate. And normally when people say that, I'm like, yeah, you just, your priorities are off, you know. And you, know how, you know how we all think about people sometimes. Yes, Christians can be judgmental. I, I know you've never heard of that or anything. But, um, and I'm, I'm judgmental at times too, so let me be clear there. But I had to, I had to say I can't meet with y'all tonight, me and Becca and the family, because we had so much on our plate and I think part of it was because we kept suffering with other people. We kept entering into other people's lives. There's other things, like my Airbnb was falling apart and my car was falling apart, you know, all these little things. But we would also do things for other people that we don't t- talk about a lot. You know, you're not trying to brag as a Christian, which, by the way, I think we, we probably need to brag more. Not in a prideful way, but I think it's okay, guys, to say what you've done for others in this congregation. That's why we have testimonies up here. Most people won't say, oh, I should give a testimony. I'm following Jesus so great. What, like when Larry came up here or whatever, whoever comes up here, we're like, God, we see Jesus in you. Come up here and share. But maybe as, as individuals, we do need to be articulating these things. By the grace of God, I was able to do this. And if it's in the right heart, so anyway, by the grace of God, me and Becca were able to bring food to Jordan and Logan Wood and uh, help my uh, neighbor who lives underneath in my garage and uh, he didn't have a, a home prior to that and just all these other things. By the grace of God, we were able to do that. But we suffered in a way with them. Like they, for instance, Jordan and Logan just had a baby and it, it's a hard time right now to, to do some things. So we're suffering. And my neighbor, he's suffering. He's got a lot of physical ailments. He's got a lot of problems. Anyway, it takes time. It takes sacrifice to come alongside these different people in all different walks of suffering, right? All different walks of life. But because of that, we suffered. Because of that, I had to, we had to take off group. We, and honestly, so much other things we just have to say no to because we're maxed out. But I think part of it was because we were suffering with people. And so church... I think a lot of you are suffering with people. A lot of you are entering the lives of others. And we will suffer. It's part of life. So maybe we're not just all just busy. Maybe we've been suffering with others. I know that. I hear that. Paul puts the word suffer in here like it's a requirement. We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul envisions that redeemed humans in Christ, filled with the Spirit of God, will take part in the sufferings of Christ as we rule over the earth in the way that Christ ruled, through self-sacrifice, laying down our lives for others. He entered our world filled with chaos, with brokenness, and with suffering. And he lived as that perfect human, imaging God, bringing him significance, bringing him reputation and glory everywhere he went. That's what Jesus did. With everywhere he went and everything he did, he brought glory to God through how he lived and how he died and how he raised from the dead. And as John says in John 17, it's when Jesus is lifted on the cross at his crucifixion that he and his father are both glorified. It's not domination. It's dominion through self-sacrifice. It's rule through giving our lives And as we're called to enter into the sufferings of those around us and we're called to lay down our lives, even for our enemies, just as Christ laid down his life for us, Romans would say, we, Paul would say in Romans, we are to help others as well as creation thrive. We're to help others as well as creation. This is broken. It's not just people are broken. Creation is broken. So let's not just leave out creation. Let's help creation thrive too. Let's tend the earth in a way that would, would sustain it. Not even just sustain it, thrive. For all, it, let, let's, let's do this so that it would be all that it was meant to be as we look to Jesus to guide us, 
to shape us and form us. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 27. To them, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, Christ in us, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Let's read the whole thing now in context right here. Go back to 24. Here's that word again, suffer. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. And Paul's, Paul's speaking here. He's, he's getting real honest, guys. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, to be clear, though, Christ wasn't lacking in any, in any way. He's saying he's carrying on as Christ did. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And here's his unique purpose, to make the word of God fully known in his way, in the way that he did. We also have that same vocation, that same mission The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are their riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what do we do? Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And for this I toil, struggling, Suffering, you could say as well, with what? With all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let me be clear. We need God to help us enter into the sufferings of others. We need his spirit to compel us. We need, we need God to do this or we will just burn out and crumple up. But as we look to Jesus... That is where we get our energy. That is where we get what it means to live as a human, to live in the way God is intending for us. We have this ultimate promise amid our suffering. Romans 8, 28 through 30 really does a good job at showing that. And this is happening now, Gulf Coast. This is happening now. Let me turn to Romans chapter 8 one last time. Verse 28, we know, Gulf Coast, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined He also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Lives are being transformed, Gulf Coast. And Jesus is at work. The temptation of the first way of looking at just, we just need forgiveness. Or Genesis 3, man, we're just sinners. All, you know, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We know that's true. There's a second part. For the, for the wages of sin and death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, meaning that he is working eternal life now in those who would follow and trust in him. He's changing us to be more human, to be in his likeness. In his likeness, like Genesis 1 would say, in his image. And guys, I'm seeing that throughout all of us, uh, many, many of us, let me say. I've seen lives transformed. I've seen people laying down their lives for one another. Here at Gulf Coast, specifically, 
But let's not be sin police where we just say, it's Genesis 3, hey, you're a sinner, hey, you shouldn't do that, right? What should we be? I would suggest we be like image finders or recognizers. Let's recognize when we see the image of God in people. And when I see Anne, older years, struggling with, you know, a lot of physical things, and she's just pushing hard to represent Jesus here and to serve people. Laura Lee, you know, you got these physical ailments. Randy right beside her, opening up her house, their house so that college students can just get in and do their thing and mess it up and praise Jesus and <laughs> build community. <clears throat> Individuals throughout. I mean, I could go, go on and on. I probably should. I, I meant to write a long list so I could just spit it off real fast. But God is at work in us. And many of you are entering into the suffering of your neighbors. Jesus is at work. I've seen it. I've heard about it. Particularly, I think of Bruce and Jeanette Reynolds. They were telling me about how they, uh, they might even share about this another time, so I'm blowing it. Blowing it. But uh, they, they do meals, for we- meals on wheels in, in a, a lower part, you know, in, in the south side of town to people who are different than them to, to really enter into what they're doing to serve them in a unique way. It's, it's amazing. Jerry never talks about himself. Very, doesn't very, very much. So I figured I would. I've had a, the privilege of being a, alongside uh, the pastors um, in the last couple of years, but really getting to know them. It's interesting. Jerry took uh, one of his friends, actually. He was a friend prior to this um, that doesn't have a home. And uh, his friend had severe medical issues, very late, you know, on his last leg, and his friend did not want to die in a hospital. Oh, he went to the hospital for sure. He went there, was treated, but he was going to die there, and he didn't want to go. So Jerry and Donna took this friend into their home. He had no family. The only friends he had were other people that didn't have homes. And man, the end of his life was brutal. I mean, just the things that happened to his body at the end, I won't even talk about, but Jerry and Donna were right there in their house as they entered into his sufferings. And they spoke words of peace to him, words of love, even just just being with him, being present with him, people that cared for him. God is at work, guys. I can go on and on. I know many of you. It's happening. The work we're doing at um, Next Step Pregnancy Center, the work we're doing, it is work that we're doing, Gulf Coast. There are many of you that are laboring at the Next Step Pre- Pregnancy Center. It's in, a, it's in a po- an area of, of lower income. There's so many needs. There are, um, we're standing up for life, and we're helping moms that need help. We're helping moms that have no resources or lack of resources this is, this is what it means to serve and, and to lay down our lives for those utilizing and using what God has given us, our vocation, our resources, love, equity, justice. All right, I don't want to run out of time. Our way of ruling is going to look vastly different, though, from those around us. It's going to go against our culture, just as it did in Rome. They did not know it. They did not. Self-sacrifice was the antithesis of what Romans knew. It was all about raising yourself up, having pomp. And we're going to go against the status quo, even in our Christian culture. What does this look like for families? It looks like figuring out how to it looks like figuring out how to pour in and invest in your children to teach them that they were made in the image of God. It's not about you obey, don't disobey. Sure, that's part of it. It's about live the way God intended you to. Don't, why are you unkind to that person? And they'll tell you. God did not make you to be unkind. He made you to be kind. He made you to stand up for that person, to be an advocate for that person. If that person is being ridiculed, then you step in. Just as Jesus did. Jesus made you this way. We don't have to be the sin police. There's nothing wrong with 
you know, calling out what, what's, what, where they're disobeying. But let's call our kids to the image of God. Let's give them ideas of what it means to, to build in this earth, to do what God has called us to. Maybe you're a young professional. What do you do with your life? You're trying to figure out and pave your way. Maybe it means doing your job in a way where you are honoring God in everything that you're doing and people look at you and they're just, uh, they're like, who is that person? Why are they like that? And then it it might even look like changing jobs. My job is not, not helping the earth. It's actually tearing it apart. I need another job. As a young professional, you might have a way to switch. Maybe uh, the older generation, you have understood suffering in a way that the younger people have not yet. And you could speak to the younger in a way that others can't. You could come alongside others that are younger than you, younger in the faith and maybe even younger in age, and you could show them what it means to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus. And invest in that generation so that they make the choices, so that they know they have direction in their life, get in their life. May we be a church where the older invest in the younger. It's happening, but may God do it more. Culture can shape us, but may Jesus shape us ultimately. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how marvelous you are, and yet you've called us. You've called us to this holy task of joining with you in the mission of God. How marvelous are you to form us in the image of your Son. Thank you, God. How marvelous are you. How marvelous are you, Jesus. You entered into this world. You've taken on flesh in this broken world. You're the king of all creation, yet so humble, so amazing. But you went to death, even death on a cross. You suffered that we may have life You gave your life, you defeated death, you created a new humanity. You gave us hope, you give us hope, hope of glory. You give us hope of eternal life now that we would walk in your spirit, bearing witness of Jesus' reign on this earth as it is heaven, as it is in heaven. And God, as a church, would you help us? Help us, God. Help us to show off Jesus wherever we go. Help us to know what it means to rule in such a way that we would show the equity and the justice and the love that you have, that you've given us, God. Gulf Coast, as we prepare, we're, gonna, we're preparing to uh, eat of the Lord's Supper. Let us remember Jesus. Let's remember the one who, he's at work in our lives. I know some of us might feel that he's not. If you're following Jesus, if you trust in him, he's at work. Let's reflect on his death as well as his life. Let's look at his, let's reflect on his humility. He laid down his life even to the point of death. Let's reflect on his humility shown through his sacrifice. And we all too, as followers of Jesus, we're joined in this way of life. We're called according to his purposes. And so as Jesus broke the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. And as Jesus took the cup of wine, he said, this is my blood. It's God's new covenant with people. It's God's new covenant between God and people. And he, it, he poured, it, poured out his blood as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. That's why we take this Lord's Supper, to remember these things. So let's take some time to reflect. This might be a time to pray uh, alone. It might be a time to pray with others. Maybe some in your community group. Maybe there's someone uh, you need to reconcile with. Gulf Coast, maybe this is a time where you could ask God to remind you of who he is. Maybe we just need that. Maybe it's a time to ask God who you are.
because of what he's done. And maybe it's a time to ask God, hey God, what do you want me to do about it? Who is God? What has he done? Who are we? What do we do about it? Take some time to reflect. Here's what we're going to do. Actually, um, yes, you can come up anytime you want, okay? But, but take your time. And if you would like, you could even come up front and pray if you don't want to get distracted. You know, afterwards, so many times it's like, oh, let's leave. Maybe you don't want to leave. Maybe you want some elders to pray for you. We're going to sing this song, and the Pete's going to give a benediction. But after the benediction, you don't have to leave. You can stay here. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your provision in Jesus. Father, we bless you and praise you right now for your provision in Jesus. And we remember that. Amen.